Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world who knows the value of a globe life well-lived. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Forget the pursuit of happiness. Forget liberty. The only thing that matters is globe life. The thing I've really uh, come to learn during this Texas showdown is how much people care about the roof at both mm. uh, both ballparks. Of course, that was a, a new addition in Texas when they built globe life field, but people really care about whether the roof is closed or open. And the graphics that both teams put out that very dramatically state whether the roof is closed or open. And I th- I'm not sure if this is also going to be true in Chase Field, actually. Um, I'm, I'm curious about that. I know there's actually some drama about that, from what I understand, that we can maybe get into uh, now that you're there. But I, I, I just love the roof graphics. They always make me laugh. Maybe one day I will have a convertible. Sure. <laughs> and if I ever have a convertible for the rest of my life, I will tweet out graphics every time I drive it to let you, you people know. What are you talking about? You had a convertible. You Oh, I guess I did drive a convertible <laughs> at one point. I wish I had at that point in my life sent out graphics for whether the roof of my convertible was closed or open. Well, the funny thing is at that point, because that was a good number of years ago, we've we've added roofs to the baseball landscape, right? It, over the last 10, 15 years with, you know, with Marlins Park, um, then Low Depot, and now we have Globe Life. Like we're, we're adding roofs um, all the time. So uh, I think it's fine. That joke, there's still room for that joke if you do uh, find your way into ownership of a convertible at some point. Anyway, Jake, on this episode, we're recording this late after game three of the ALCS. The Astros win eight to five. You are in Arizona on the Phillies D-backs off day where you will attend game three tomorrow. Uh, but because you were, d- didn't have to work tonight, I know you were not locked in on this game to the same degree, which is totally fine. So I'll be doing most of the recapping. But I understand you did watch uh, the good good first part of this game. And so I'll let you uh, start with what your takeaways were from the beginning because we had Max Scherzer back for the first time in over a month facing Christian Javier. I sat down at the bar of a nice restaurant here in downtown Phoenix, and I said to myself, let's lock in. Let's sit at this bar and watch the entirety of this baseball game alone, solo, no laptops, no other people around me, just vibes, okay? And for the first first four innings, I did just that. And then I got bored because Max Scherzer was thoroughly not good enough, and when... The Astros 
hopped out to a 5-0 lead after four, my attention waned quite dramatically. So I can walk you through those first four innings with a very simple sentence. Max Scherzer did not pitch well because he had not pitched for quite some time. Did yeah, I miss anything? He didn't, he didn't look horrible. Like the stuff no. was there. He was throwing pretty hard. He had some some nasty pitches and some good, but it was just some rust and the Astros were a little bit more on top uh, of his stuff than the previous two Rangers starters. And it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And of course, the bigger problem for Texas over the first four innings is they had absolutely no clue what to do with Christian Javier. So as the Astros start pulling away, it starts feeling like it's not especially competitive. Um, the big moment early was Martin Maldonado, you know, making a 3 nothing, And allowing Martin Maldonado to do anything on offense is so uniquely deflating. It just cannot happen. He's one of the worst hitters in baseball. And sure, you could say, yeah, you, you want to get any nine hitter out. Right? That, that's true. Uh, but some teams have Michael Harris hitting ninth. This is not one of them. And so like this, and just to be, and I know he ended up getting out. So Altuve didn't come to bat that inning, but still like it is just something that when you are going into a game and you want to win, you just have to get him out. Friend of the show, Clinton Yates has popularized the that can't happen scale where there are various things in baseball that you can't not have them happen to you. They are not acceptable. And allowing a two RBI single to Martin Maldonado with two outs in a postseason game is at the top of that list. Yeah. I have not thrown a competitive pitch in a meaningful baseball game since 2017. I genuinely believe, and maybe this is out of pocket, I genuinely believe that Martin Maldonado would only hit 400 off of me. <laughs> right. Whereas most big leaguers would hit 900. Uh, yes, I think that is a good way to put it. I, I was like, where are you going with this? But I think that's a perfect way to describe it. So Maldonado, uh, he, you know, he drives in a run, but, but he, he gets out, he gets out trying to stretch us a second. So it's like, okay, great. Well, at least we don't have to face Altuve in this inning. Top of the third, Altuve, who had smashed one very deep in his first at bat, takes Scherzer deep. And it was like, oh, right. Okay. Altuve woke up and that was very good to see. Altuve looked fantastic tonight. That was a big takeaway tonight. Altuve in his first three at-bats. At-bat number one, 100 off the bat, 396 feet, fly out. Mm. At-bat number two, 104 off the bat, 413 feet, home run. At-bat number three for Jose Altuve, 102 off the bat, 406 feet, fly out. So Altuve goes one for three in his first three plate appearances with, uh, you know, like, 1200 feet worth of distance yeah and so you know you have you have uh cody bradford eventually comes in uh, dubon uh, makes it five nothing there in the fourth cody bradford comes in for max scherzer he kind of settles things down and then in the bottom of the fifth texas starts the comeback and josh young who i highlighted coming into this series a lot of talk about Evan Carter. Evan Carter batting third in this game. They finally moved him up, becoming the second youngest player in Major League Baseball history to bat third in an LCS or World Series game. That is only Mickey Mantle who was younger than him, so that's a decent little fun fact. But it was, was Josh good. Young. Was he, how did he turn out? Uh, who? Mickey Mantle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's I.E.O. He I. Josh Young still batting eighth. Because his his offensive game has kind of fluctuated game. We've seen him look locked in. We've seen him look kind of lost against certain pitchers. But he has a massive game. He goes yard for a two-run homer, making it 5-2. to two. Top of the sixth, Jordan leading off. <laughs> and Jordan sends one, 111 off the bat, deep to center field. But Leody 
Tavares. Leody Tavares, known for his defense since he was like 14, has been fantastic for the Rangers this year. A lot because he's kind of elevated his offensive game. We talked about you know him taking Verlander yard earlier in the series. But in this one, this was the glove. He robs Jordan of what would have been, I guess, his seventh home run of the post... Eighth? Seventh? I've lost track. <laughs> so I think seventh uh, home run of the postseason. And that was uh, an incredible moment. It was like, okay, like, are we getting some some defensive momentum in, into the bats? You know, the Astros don't score there. We go to the bottom of the sixth. Evan Carter hits a double, but then Hector Neres comes in, keeps it close. We go to the top of the seventh. And this is really where, uh, again, we go key moment of the game here. Maldonado reaches key, again. Key moment of the game. If you want to hear more key moments of the game, I recommend tuning in to the Lidome games starting uh, tomorrow, or I guess today, Thursday. Uh, Lidome opening day. If you want to listen to Franklin Mirabal, uh, the Lycee broadcaster, declare that every moment is the key moment of the game. I recommend tuning into those. I believe they will still be on MLB.com. Anyway, Martin Maldonado reaches base again. Oh, again, can't happen. So he singles, Altuve singles. They bring in Will Smith. Now, the trio of Spores, Chapman, LeClerc has generally been getting the job done, even with the scares for Chapman. But beyond that, we haven't really had to see much of them because the starters have been so good, we haven't actually had to go in to the deeper parts of the Rangers' bullpen. Had that one game with Cody Bradford earlier uh, against Baltimore, but in general, it's been, you know, we haven't really had to see that many other guys. Will Smith comes in, Brantley lines out, it's two outs, walks Bregman on five pitches. <laughs> and I guess it's like, okay, well, I guess you'd rather Will Smith face Jordan than Bregman, but no, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Jordan, uh, incredible at bat, battles back, and uh, fights one off to center field for a two RBI single, making it seven to two. John Gray comes in in relief, a little bit of strange people wondering, oh, maybe he's going to start game four. He comes in, in relief, gets out of the inning. Josh Young homers again in the seventh to make it seven to four. Um, and then... And then, yeah, then basically, you know, the Astros put up another run in the eighth. It's eight to four there. John Gray's still in. He's pitching in relief for the first time in a while. He doesn't look great. Then it's Martin Perez. Bottom of the eighth, we're, we're making some, some moves here. Garcia makes it eight to five. First run scored against Brian Abreu in 33 outings. So that was at least impressive. But it was by far too little too late. Uh, and ultimately, the, the Astros prevail. Presley comes in, uh, shuts the door. Young grounds out into a double play. And the Astros take this one. Eight to five uh, to make the series two to one. And to make the series. To make the series a series, yes. It does not appear that the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to make this a series. We could be wrong in that, and we'll talk about game three in a bit, but there are many reasons to doubt that the Snakes have any bite left in their fangs. However, with tonight's win, the Astros are going to give us, or at least hinting at some level of entertainment, mm -hmm. over into next week. And yeah. for that, I am very thankful. I agree. Uh, now, I will say, just spinning this forward, we expect to see, I think, Urquidy and probably the Heen Dog, uh, Andrew Heaney, and Dane Dunning piggyback in some order would be my expectation. I don't know if that's been reported. Oh, this dude, I hope, I hope that on the graphic of who's starting, it's mm -hmm. literally... Dane Dunning on Andrew Heaney's back. Like it is both. <laughs> they should have made them like when they do, like if the Rangers make it to the world series, you know how they do all those like 
special photo shoots uh, like before the World Series that they show on the Fox broadcast of the guys like, you know, hugging the World Series trophy and like posing with all these things. They should do that. They should do the the Dunning Heaney uh, piggyback picture. That would be fantastic. So anyway, but but I'm looking farther ahead here because if there was another takeaway from tonight, it was that Max Scherzer didn't look very good. And in theory, Max Scherzer would be the one lined up for a game seven. Now, again, long way to go on multiple respects. We will see if they uh, move things around in any way. I have no idea. But that is just a thing that we could potentially be heading towards one way or the other, which would be very interesting. Tonight was the bizarre downside of trading for a Max Scherzer. <laughs> one should always trade for a Max Scherzer. Do not galaxy brain yourself into thinking you shouldn't, despite what I'm about to say. When you trade for Max Scherzer and he gets hurt, you cannot tell him no. You cannot. He has earned the right to tell you when he is good enough to throw. His eventual induction into Cooperstown is enough. It was clear tonight that there was enough rust that Max Scherzer, in my opinion, should not have been pitching tonight. He should not have been starting tonight. It you He gave up five runs in four innings, right? Like, he did not yeah. give his team a chance to win the game. He did yeah. not. In theory, I guess he did, and they lost eight to five, whatever, and they gave up three more runs. But he was not, I know he looked fine, but yeah. he was not Max Scherzer tonight. An alternate reality where they go with Dane Dunning and Andrew Heaney, both of whom have been good. They have delivered so far this postseason. The Rangers deviated from the strategy that had gotten them to this point. They had no other option. They had to, they had to pitch him. They had, had to, to pitch him. And that's the thing. Like either they were going to pitch him today or tomorrow. And they, they made that decision. Cause to your point, you're kind of, you're kind of pot committed at that point. And I don't blame them. And that's the thing. And I, I'll be a little bit less harsh on Scherzer. Like, yeah, he did. He wasn't very good, but it's also what I said before, where it's like, is this because he was hurt and rusty partially, but also it's because sometimes Max Scherzer has gotten crushed this year, even when he has been healthy and even against the Astros. So like, that's also a version where it's like, yeah, the Astros, can be pretty good and they can beat good pitchers. So in that sense, it's not about second guessing it so much, but there was risk there and he didn't deliver. It's not, doesn't tarnish his legacy or anything, No, but no, it is no. a reminder of the, of how thin, you know, the, the margins are for Texas here because this was a huge opportunity to go up three Oh and, and they obviously were not able to capitalize. And for Houston side, yeah, I mean, Javier looked, looked great again. He was throwing so many fastballs in the early going and those guys, some of whom had seen it before, just really couldn't do anything with it. Super duper impressive, a quiet night offensively from Semyon and Seager. Seager, Seager not looking awesome so far, I would say. that That is maybe a, a takeaway so far, especially coming back home where he's been so good. A bit of a takeaway. There was a bit of an Astros lineup shakeup. They moved Brantley up to two, Tucker down to six. Tucker's the one that ends up with three walks and a hit. Brantley goes 0 for 5. You know, all the lineup stuff is, is of course, we're, it's going to be under a microscope at this time of year, but I don't have too much to add there. But really the bottom of the, t of the Houston order, you know, two hits from Maldonado, three hits from Dubon, uh, you know, two runs from Tucker, really impressive, 12 hits on the night. So, uh, I, I mean, they, they got to feel pretty good, all things considered. We knew that they could make this a series, but it is it is definitely interesting to see the Rangers uh, The Rangers lost, Jake. We just watched the Rangers uh, lose. They lost the postseason game. <laughs> it's a, we've talked a bunch on the show about how we're generally skeptical about, like, home road split stuff mm -hmm. and that it actually matters and it's mostly dumb luck. There is a reason behind whatever the heck 
is going on with the Astros at this point. Mm-hmm. I saw a great take from some Astros fan that was like, oh, well, you know, Houston has so many charity obligations <laughs> when they're at home <laughs> that that they're distracted. They're they're very uh, busy. Right. They have a lot more boys. going on at home because they're they're the dudes in Houston. Whatever it is, they're better on the road. And I don't need a reason. I just I just need to believe it. Uh, and we got that proved to us again tonight. Let's spin it forward to game four. Yep. Who yeah, got? I mean, well, like I said, like like I said, or Keedy, Heaney Dunning, um, they'll have uh, the night game again. And I mean, <laughs> listen, man, like just uh, obviously, but do you, you, you do not want to let this Houston offense heat up. Your line just looks so absurd. Even late in the game when like the game's kind of in hand. You know he's roping balls 114. He he has a home run robbed from him that that is not going to show up in the box score, of course. You know I, I don't really know how you change anything here. Again, the one that he almost hit out was a ball that was outside, and it was even more outside than the one he pulled off Chapman. Like it was a, a better pitch, and you would think one that you couldn't hit. But again, watch Heim every time Jordan makes contact. And you can tell he's just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? And I know that some of it is execution and some of these pitchers just don't have the stuff equipped to get him out. But man, oh man, he is is just a a force force to be reckoned with. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, Before we take a break, do you want to actually, you know, let's take a break now. We'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about uh, game three of the NLCS and, and then we're going to do a little gold glove chat before we get out. Here. So we'll be right back here on baseball. Bar. Hey everyone. Producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official baseball barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barba Cast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Enough about the American League. NLCS, game three. Tonight, Thursday evening, in the desert. The snakes are home. Back in their nest? Their den? They're um, there. Yeah, abode? I don't know. I guess we should, we should, this is a biological uh, question that we should probably know. It's shame on us. Snake's nest, I think. Anyway, uh, and the Phillies are going to play him. Game three, Ranger Suarez against Brandon Fott. Um, It is really hot here. That has nothing to do with the game. I am here in Arizona. It is really hot here, George. Like, I, I forgot that it's different temperatures in different parts of the country at the same time. I am realizing you have not been in Arizona for a while, right? It's been a few years. I was there uh, for spring training this year, um, and it was it was actually the it was not it was cold. It was like it was like fifty five, and because it was Arizona, everyone was losing their mind. It was really windy. I remember when I was uh, doing some spring training stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's been a while. I know we've been there before together, but it's been a few years. So yeah, it's 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 pretty steamy. Now, hey, it's not July. I mean, I'm sure the people who actually live there will tell you, yeah, this is fine. It's 90 degrees. What's the big deal? It's not 115. 
I am schwitzing is what I'm doing. Walked over to the workout today. I missed the Diamondbacks workout because I napped. Sue okay. me. Uh, I did see the Phillies workout. It was the most impressive show and go. We're up two games to zero workout performance I'd ever seen. A number of pitchers, the all like a lot of guys threw pens. I would imagine like Taiwan Walker probably threw a pen, and Christopher Sanchez probably threw a pen, and maybe Wheeler threw light. A lot of the relievers threw flat grounds, and the infielders took infield, and the outfielders took fly balls, and no one hit. None of the Phillies swung a bat. They were they were gonna hit, and then it was like, well, actually, no, we're not gonna hit. Why would we? We're we'll hit tomorrow. Already. We'll hit tomorrow during the <laughs> Against game. Against Brandon Fott. <laughs> they were in and out of there in like 45 minutes. It was crazy. The highlight, I guess, would be Nick Castellanos took grounders at shortstop for the entirety of the workout yeah. instead of instead of taking uh, fly balls in the outfield. He's one of a kind. Um, let's talk about game three. Brandon Fott is a key character here. Right. And at the beginning of the year. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Key character of the game. Brandon Fott, before the year, was one of the t- was considered one of the top prospects, top, top pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah. Let's take out his 2023 season, and I want you to explain to listeners, Jordan, what made Fott special, notable, and hyped leading into this season. Yeah. So, I mean, this was a, a very... Classic. We've had a lot of interesting 2020 draft stories. Of course, Evan Carter being one of them. Um, but this was a guy uh, coming from Bellarmine University, which I think has since actually transitioned to D1, but at the time was a Division II school. And he was just, you know, one of the best pitchers in Division II. His numbers were were good, not great. He pitched well um, in some summer ball in the Northwoods League and the Cape, and that's how he kind of got on the map. But they take him in the fifth round. I believe it was probably a pretty low signing bonus. And then really the what what showed in the minors was really, really, really good control. Of course, the strikeout stuff was there. He wasn't throwing that hard, but it was a really impressive, you know, combination of a deep arsenal and throws a shit ton of strikes and clearly knows what he's doing, which especially for a pitcher coming from Bellarmine University was not necessarily a profile that a lot of people uh, had expected to see. And he was just cruising through the minor leagues. And especially in 2022, what he was able to do at the AAA level in Reno, which is arguably the toughest place, or at least probably top three to, to five toughest places to pitch in all of professional baseball, certainly affiliated baseball, for him to have a 2.63 ERA in 10 starts, that's a situation where it's like you can't flute, you you clearly have to know what the hell you're doing, no matter whether it's AAA hitters or not. The environment is so unfriendly to pitchers. It's like this dude knows what he's doing. He's throwing enough strikes. He's keeping the ball down. He's keeping the ball away from hard contact contact in the air. But once he got to the big leagues, even though he was pitching well in AAA again, the stuff was just not playing to the same degree. That is really what we saw. But once he kind of came back up in the second half, it was much more consistent. He was going deeper into ball games. Again, what you have the challenge is when you're not throwing that hard and your stuff isn't too overwhelming, eventually too many strikes can start to hurt you. And I think that's kind of what we saw from him in the second half, certainly early on in his his big league showing. Uh, But recently we've seen him kind of settle in a little bit more. Again, we've seen it in this postseason. We've seen both versions. We saw him kind of get smacked around against Milwaukee. We saw him pitch well against the Dodgers. So there's been versions of it. That's kind of what it's been like as he's kind of gone through the big leagues for the first time. Phillies are a team. They're probably going to hit strikes pretty well. So they're going to have to have quite a good game plan here uh, if he's going to kind of get through this lineup because there's just 
there's not that the Dodgers didn't have good hitters that he had to deal with, but this is a, a much deeper group. And this is a good place to talk about the difference between command and control. And those two ideas are used somewhat interchangeably on a baseball broadcast at times, command and control, and talking about where pitchers throw the baseball. But they are very different, and Brandon Fott is a good example, and tomorrow against the, or sorry, tonight against the Phillies will be a very good example. So command is putting the baseball where you want it to go. Control is simply throwing it in the strike zone. Very important distinction. And tomorrow night, tonight, Against the Phillies, Fott will need to have command and control. It is not enough just to throw it in the strike zone against the Phillies. Because if you do that, they will then throw it over the fence with their bats, which is how home runs are you know, always described. Uh, <laughs> it's not just about throwing strikes. He's going to have to throw good strikes on the edges of the zone. And he's going to have to throw smart balls outside the zone at the right times. Yeah, and and what's what's really concerning is the fact that we just watched Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen have the same kind of – those guys also have really, really good control and often command way more veterans, like way more experience. We've seen them have much more success at the big league level. But even they made enough mistakes to where the Phillies made them pay. And so that is going to be – now, all that said, let's flip it to the other side of things. None of this fucking matters if the D-backs can continue to not hit whatsoever because Ranger Suarez has been fantastic – and if they can't hit him, it's it's not going to matter whether Fott can hold them to two runs or to six runs because the D-backs offense has been by far the biggest, uh, not the biggest problem. Obviously, the <laughs> the Phillies have scored a bunch of runs, but I still look at this and I say the reason why they have made this has been non-competitive because the D-backs are not putting any pressure on an offense whatsoever. So that is going to have to change. That is by far the most important thing for them in game three if they do want to make this a competitive series uh, whatsoever. So I think, again, like I like their chances I, with respect to Ranger, who's been great. I still like their chances a lot more against him uh, than, than against Nola and Wheeler. So I think they got a shot here, but would like to see the Snakes kind of show up a little bit more. So today I walked into Chase Field for the first time in my life. I had never yeah. been there. It was one of the five remaining MLB stadiums that I had not attended. Mm -hmm. The only four now are Globe Life in Arlington which maybe I'll see next week if the Rangers win. Minnesota, Target Field, Tampa Bay, Tropicana Field, and Toronto, the Sky Dome, the Rogers Center, whatever you want to call it. Initial impression in Chase Field, and granted, this is without seeing a game there. Also take into account that I got locked in a stairwell within the first five minutes of being in there, unable to get out in either direction. Tough start. And had to, and had to bang on the door for a while until someone came to get me. It's Minute Maid, but worse, Jordan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the indoor stadiums are something that I've been surprised, the ones that I've seen, how sometimes I'm like, actually, like I kind of assume I'm going to dislike all of them. And then sometimes I'm like, actually, I kind of like this one. We loved Marlins Park. Yeah, loved Marlins Park. Um, I've, and I've seen, you know, T-Mobile with the roof closed. I've seen... So I, but I did love Marlins Park. Like you mentioned, neither of us have been to the Truffle. That seems to be kind of its own category. We'll see how it compares. And if you do get to go to Globe Life, I'm curious the comparison there. I'm like kind of neutral on Minute Maid. I, I don't, I don't dislike Minute Maid. I think it's, I think yeah. it's solid. It's not one of my favorites, but I don't hate it. So, yeah. The the size of Chase Field is nuts. 
it is humongous and yeah. it is somehow too big. Mm-hmm. I like the way that the roof, like it, the way it looks like it opens up from the middle mm-hmm. is cool. And it kind of creates a certain aesthetic with the roof that I like, but the sight lines are weird. It feels very dark and dreary in there. And a lot of the concourse and behind the scenes stuff, which I understand a lot of fans don't see is very outdated and a little crusty. So maybe tomorrow they'll pack the place and they'll win by 10 and they'll change my mind. And I'm open to having my mind changed, but first impressions, not great. Not great. Not great. Not great. Uh, One more topic before we end this podcast, the gold glove finalists were announced, Jake. And while I genuinely don't care that much who wins, a lot of people do. And there is so much vitriol over this award and over the finalists. I don't necessarily care too much to say, oh my God, this guy got snubbed. Oh man, this is a travesty, whatever. But I think that we we just zoom past how this works. And I think that how it works is instructive and I think actually offers some insight into the league and how people view defense. Because what's important to understand here, which a lot of people skip past because they just get angry, and I I, I understand that, is how do, you, how do the Gold Glove Awards get picked? Because it's not the BBWAA voting the way they do for all the other major awards, right? This is, this is a different situation. So on MLB.com, they make it very clear. To determine the winners of the nine standard positions, the 30 MLB managers and up to six mm. coaches from each team vote from a pool of players in their league, excluding players from their own team. These votes comprise 75% of the selection total with the Sabre defensive in- index counting for the other 25%. Which means, while a lot of dorks like us like to look at defensive metrics and say, oh, like that is clearly some level of component that is being considered with the modern gold glove. However, what this really is still is a lot of, you know, baseball lifers and coaches who are watching these players all the time, but also not watching some players all the time and coming a up lot with very of, strong opinions. It's a lot of that boy nice, Jordan. It's a whole lot of that boy well, nice. Or I know that boy. That's my boy. (laughs) That is probably a better way to put it because there are certain positions that really stand out in that respect that I think we can take something from. One of them is catcher. I think catcher is a really interesting one because in the National League, you have a really interesting trio. You have Patrick Bailey and Gabriel Moreno, two like 23, 24-year-olds. I've, of course, talked about Moreno. We've already talked about him controlling the running game. Patrick Bailey, probably the second best at controlling the running game. Amazing defender. And then you have Real Muto as the third. Real Muto, the defending guy. Defensive metrics tell you Real Muto was nowhere near one of the best defensive catchers in the league this year. But guess what? Guess who everybody still thinks is one of the best defensive catchers in the league? All the guys that play against him. And I understand that. These are the three correct guys. Uh, Real Muto's game calling is elite. And I have no issue with him being here. Yeah, no, it's fine. I would say Sean Murphy's the only other one that stands out as like could have a case uh, against Real Muto. But then you have a case in the AL where you have Adley and Adley's def- like advanced metrics where his framing is like pretty good and everything is like blocking, throwing, eh. but already the people who are playing against him are like, that guy knows what the fuck he's doing. And I can't say I disagree. We, we know how much of an impact Adley's had on winning, but I think that that's also really interesting uh, when you see. And when you pull up the finals again, we don't have to go through every position. Are there anything else that stand out? I'll just run through a couple of them. Uh, Anthony Rizzo getting an inclusion at first base when he didn't really play that many 
games. Yeah. I mean, he's he's won it four times before. So again, it's just like, oh, that guy probably. First base, if you want my opinions on first base or pitcher, I, I do not have them for you. <laughs> I will push yeah. back against that. I think first base defense is like oh, the most underrated th- thing in baseball. I, I agree with that. I just am telling you, I, I don't, it, it, this year's crop in particular, I do not have any strong opinions on. So that's for this one. And pitcher, I truly um, is, is, <laughs> is a weird one. The inclusion of Anthony Volpe over Bobby Witt Jr. at shortstop is, I'll say it, I'll say it, Jordan. It's Yankee bias, Jordan. I mean, that's, it's something. <laughs> I mean, it's, that also one Corey Seager. Surprising. Also Corey, actually, sorry. Corey Seager is more egregious than Volpe. Yeah. Corey Seager is fine. Like he's okay. He's good. Like it's impressive that he's be able to be that big and that, and that competent, but he does not jump off the screen defensively at all that boy fine that boy that boy fine um so yeah royals fans uh understandably peeved i know michael garcia also a defending uh, a guy and then the, the other big headline just to get over is that nolan arenado not even a finalist his streak of 10 consecutive gold gloves to start his career uh will end i'm not surprised i think this was very clear halfway through the season this would be the case i think brian hayes 100 percent deserves it I'm surprised Austin Riley is the finalist and not Manny Machado, but whatever. Uh, that might say about how much people like Austin Riley versus Manny Machado. But either way, Cabrian Hayes should win. He deserves to win. He arguably deserved to win last year, but it could at least have been a debate. I know McMahon is great too. Cabrian Hayes, he could start a streak now. That's the real exciting part because that guy is one of the best defenders in the entire world. Um, Center field yeah. on both sides is very is, fun. Yes. That was the last one I wanted to highlight, the center field on both sides. In the American League, it will go to Kevin Kiermeyer, I believe. The ageless wonder. Shouts out to Julio Jordan. It's Julio. Luis I Robert. think Robert has a better shot than Julio. Mm. Like, I think I think it might be Kiermeyer because, again, like we said, it's he not that he hasn't been amazing and people know who he is, and it's easier to pick him over picking between Robert and Julio. But those that is a, a an amazing, an amazing trio for sure. Um, and then in the NL, it's also a really interesting group because you have probably the most anonymous player in this entire list of finalists, which is Brent Doyle. But if you look at defensive metrics, I mean, he was the best defensive player in the league because he had a combination of like the best range and the best arm of any outfielder by far. And the most ground to cover as a Colorado exactly. Rocky in course exactly. field. Exactly. So and him, Harris, Thomas, all those guys are great. But Doyle, I think the fact that he's a finalist tells me he's going to win because people have, have realized that. Which is awesome because holy shit, does he suck at hitting. <laughs> exactly. So I'm glad he will get some hardware for this. Tatis Jr. I think is going to win in right field unless people really uh, want it because it's him, Mookie and Lane Thomas. I think Mookie should win the utility one. Um, I, and he's he. I don't like that you can be eligible at both like utility or a, a one position in which Dubon is too. Dubon probably should win the utility one, whatever. But yeah, so those are, those are the ones that stood out. Uh, Tatis winning would be would be something. But those are our Gold Glove thoughts. Uh, and in general, again, remember, like that's really what is interesting here is that this is a reflection of what the league thinks and what the players and managers who have to game plan against them is uh, or, or think about them is is and watches them you know rob hits from their their guys all the time. That's that's what they're thinking about. So I think that's interesting. Anyway, let's okay. this podcast, Jake. Let's do it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing, staying up with us tonight and getting this pod uh, on the internet. Thank you, Jake, for joining me as always. Enjoy game three. Uh, I will enjoy game four and game three tomorrow. We got two games 
on Thursday, and we'll be back uh, on on Friday. Any final thoughts, Jake Mintz? Yeah, I have a gripe. Okay. So it has been very difficult to find the COVID and flu vaccines in New York City because there are so many people. Okay. You can make an appointment. It's 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 less convenient. And so I was unable to get it before the postseason started. And today I went to a CVS in Arizona where it was just overflowing with vaccinations in this state. <laughs> Let me and tell I you, got, not hard to get an appointment in rural Indiana either. <laughs> how about that, Jordan? So I got my shots. I got my shots about, I want to say like six, seven hours ago. And I am not dating Taylor Swift. And Damn. that is what I was promised by man ads. So sucks, I'm really man. disappointed. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. Right, I thought well, that I'm... if I got two shots at the same time, I would get to be the tight end. For two the things at once. That's I know, two what I was told. Once. I know. All right. Well, they, good luck. Why? You know. Quick. Two things at once. Otani. Come on. Come on, Otani. Let's get in those Pfizer commercials. All right. We're done. No more. No more podcasting. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Serious XM Podcasts.